Thank you, John. If you have a sermon insert, on the outside it should say community news and information. On the inside is a little outline. At the top it should say our long story of rest. Our long story of rest. We're finishing our series, our short little series on rest, on Sabbath. Resting one day a week. And our text that is going to conclude our time studying rest is Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. So just follow along with me. I'm going to read it, and then we'll get into this. Hear God's word this morning. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. The Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson has quickly become one of my favorite fictional series. It's a four-part book series, and in, in part three, book three, The Monster in the Hollows, the mother in the story, who's named Nia, is teaching her three children about her people, the village where she's from, that is the people of Green Hollows. Nia's instructing the children about her mother, the children's grandmother, named Wendelin. You see, Wendelin was from a wealthy family. Her family had money, and yet she's serving as a maid in another family who mistreats her. And so the kids are like, they're confused, they're perplexed as to why Wendelin and her family has all this money in the world, and yet she's working as a servant in a home that isn't very nice to her. But Nia's response is really insightful. She says this, our family always believed that good work was better than wealth or status. So even though they had enough money to enjoy a life of leisure, my grandfather and his grandfather before him made sure their children knew the value of good work and good rest. Good work and good rest. I think 
many of us, I think you would agree with this, we live in a cultural moment that emphasizes work, but not so much rest. 40 hours of work a week has almost become an archaic thing of the past. Vacation days, for many of us, can go unused. Sleep is cut short to work more. Tiredness and weariness are at an all-time high. Roger mentioned this last week. Anxiety is rising. A go-to response to the question of how are you doing is, good, man, just really, really busy, but good. If you don't believe me, go to a wedding or hang out with old friends. I had the privilege of being at Lucas and Allison's wedding yesterday, and I heard that response almost every time I asked how somebody was doing. Busy. It's crazy busy, man, but good. How are you? I did my best to not say busy back, but it's become our, our normal answer. Oh, and don't forget, on top of all of your life, remember to read, exercise, eat clean, practice mindfulness. It isn't just full schedules, though. We're not just full people, busy people. Technology is often helped in our anxiety, helped in our busyness. We have a never-ending world of information right at our fingertips. It's in my pocket right now. can access it at any time. This stat's two years old by now, but the average American spends 705 year, uh, hours a year on social media. That's low. Now the estimate's up to about 2.3 hours a day. It's above 800 hours of your year on social media. Or you get this one, this one's wild. The average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games before he's 21. Statistics tell us that in a room about this size, three-fourths of you checked your phone within two minutes of waking up today. Information, information, more, 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 go, go, go. I didn't even bring the stats on television because when I read it, it was a little judgmental. So I was like, I'm not going to talk about that one. Psychologists and, and mental health experts are diagnosing a new disease in our day and age called hurry sickness, which is defined as, in one way as, quote, a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing or anxiousness. Or to quote from the leading psychologist today, hurry sickness is a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. We work. But do we know the value of good rest? In our, in our day and age, we even have something, I didn't even know this, something called entertainment anxiety. In our day and age, there's so much good television out there that when you're asked the question, hey, have you ever seen fill in the blank, you become anxious if you haven't. I know it by experience. We work, we are busy, we are full. All this information, all this technology around us, and maybe we even know the value of good work, like Nia said. But do we equally know the value of good rest? Because what is all of our work and what is all of our busyness and relentless, li relentlessness largely doing to us? It's certainly killing us, taking years off of our life, probably. It's making it so that we're less present, if present at all, in a lot of our day where we are supposed to be present. But I've experienced when I'm the most busy and I'm not doing a good job of valuing good rest, my, my joy is zapped. 
my happiness meter goes down. Two years ago, Psychology Today published an article that says the average three-year-old laughs 40 times a day. The average 40-year-old laughs three times a day. Mean age in here, probably 40. Average, we laugh three times a day. I can't prove it, but maybe our schedules, maybe our busyness, maybe our anxiety is the culprit. What we need is we need to be different. We need, we need the, the solution isn't more time. Give me two more hours a day or give me one extra day of the week. What would happen if that happened? We would just fill that as well. What we need to do is to live at a pace of grace. Or to quote one of my heroes, Pastor John Piper, he says that what we need more than anything is to find a pace to finish the race. Good work and good rest. What we need to do is to freely and delightfully receive the gift of rest, the gift of Sabbath, to receive resting one day in seven. So that is my hope for us this morning, is that first you would see Jesus as glorious and beautiful in what he offers to us, rest for our souls, a rest from seeking and striving for our salvation, but secondly, that we would be re-energized be vigorous to rest one day in seven, to take one 24-hour period a week to rest from our work and rest in God. And this isn't just an idea. We are going to be talking a lot, unfortunately, because of our text, like all of human history from creation to now, quickly. But these aren't just ideas to get into our minds. This is something to be embodied, which you're going to hear me say a lot something to get our lives around. We are supposed to work for six days and rest one day a week. It's woven into the fabric of who we are. This is a story, and it's a long story of rest. And so you'll see on your insert there, I, I put in big, bright red letters that Jesus brings us into a long story of rest in a restless world, a restless world that I just spent this introduction kind of sharing with you all. And so to explore a little bit of this long story of rest into which Jesus calls us, we're going to use Hebrews 4 as kind of a historical survey. We're going to look at rest at creation, rest in the wilderness, and then rest through Jesus. So let's begin first with rest at creation. This comes from verses 1 through 4, but especially verse 4. I'm just going to read it again. I like how he, he quotes here. Somewhere it said, somewhere in the Old Testament, Spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. I want us to note a couple things here. The first is that rest, or what we might call Sabbath, is a creation ordinance. I'll say that again. It's a creation ordinance. The word Sabbath just means stop, chill, stop. It became synonymous later with seventh, because that was the day of stop, the seventh day. But it's a creation ordinance. It's, 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 it's quoting back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, which is in your insert. But the point being that rest is on page 1 and 2 of the Bible. It wasn't first a command given to Moses and Israel in the wilderness to rest one day a week. It's in the very beginning. It's a creation 
ordinance. And it's a gift that God calls us into to receive by faith and to enjoy. And that's why he models it for us. God himself rested, not because he was tired like we are, but because he wanted to step back and enjoy his creation. And he calls us into that same thing, to enjoy, receive as a gift, resting one day in seven. The second thing I want you to notice here from the outset, rest at creation, is verse one. This whole thing's a warning to us. Chapter four, verse one, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Sober reminder, it's a sober call to us. Just by being in the church, being in close proximity to the church, or growing up in the church, doesn't guarantee that you are going to enjoy this rest. In verses 6 and 7, the author of Hebrews goes on to even evangelize the church a little bit. Because he's looking at us today, no matter how old we are, whether we're new to church or grew up in the church, and he's calling all of us to personal faith. You have to embrace this. You have to believe. We are indeed a covenantal people. We baptize children because God has put children into the covenant community. And until he puts them out, we're not going to put them out. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't diminish repentance and faith. We all have to trust Jesus. We all have to believe in God and the rest that he gives us. So this this warning for us, if I can boil it down, is don't be like the Israelites, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But don't be like the Israelites. Just by being a part of the people of God or being close to the people of God, we think that we have the rest that God is offering. And they missed it because they failed to believe You saw throughout our passage, unbelief, disobedience. They weren't like those who listened. Listen. Give yourself to Jesus and trust him alone by faith. And so creation rest is the beginning of the story. It's, It's where we're getting this series on resting one day in seven. But we're so far only on page two of the Bible. Page 3, Genesis chapter 3, ushers in the fall where man and woman rebel against God along with angels in heaven. I don't know how all of this works, but they decide they don't want the rest that God offers. Instead, they want to live life their own way. But God continues to graciously pursue a people, beginning with a man named Abram or Abraham, whose children eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, and those 12 tribes and all of their families eventually end up in slavery in Egypt. You can read about this in the first portion of the book of Exodus. God hears their cries and raises up a prophet named Moses to deliver them. You probably know the story. You have the the ten plagues, and finally Pharaoh lets them go, and Moses brings the people of God out. They cross the Red Sea, and boom, they're in the wilderness. Think desert. Desert wilderness, wandering, waiting for the rest, waiting for the land. Those things become synonymous that God has given to them. And that leads me to the second point where we're going to move quickly through this one. Rest in the wilderness. All this language of Moses and the people of Israel. Moses brings the people into the desert wilderness of Sinai, and God gives the people the law beginning with the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. You can read about them 
memorize them. I put them in your insert if you would like. Specifically, the commandment pertaining to the Sabbath, the stop, the resting one day in seven. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days you'll work, do all your work, but on the seventh day you will stop, you will rest. What I want you to see is actually not the commandment. I want you to see that other passage I put in your insert, Exodus 31, 13. Got your eyes on it? After the Ten Commandments, a bunch of laws come your way, if you're reading Exodus, just boom, boom, boom. But then towards the end of that section, Exodus 31, 13, this is what God says. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And then notice this, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Above all the things that the Lord has given the people, he's given them things like don't murder, don't commit adultery, here's how you should live your life, and if an ox stabs your neighbor, here's how you deal with it. But above all these things, keep my Sabbaths, remember your weekly stops, because he knows the importance of resting, but more importantly, did you, did you catch it? He says it's a sign I want you to rest one day in seven. I want you to stop because it is a sign. Sabbath is a rest from God, but it's also a sign. What do signs do? They point to something else. I don't know if you've taken a road trip recently, but when you enter a new state, you have a sign. Welcome to such and such a state. That sign's not the state. It's pointing to something else. The sign that is on each of our fingers who are married this isn't marriage, this isn't the wedding, it's pointing to something else. It is a sign of the reality. This Sabbath rest, this stopping once a week is a shadow of something greater. It's a sign. It's a sign first to the nations. It's an outward sign to the people around Israel. The nations are supposed to see Israel living at a different pace of life and inquire, what's going on? Why are they taking one day off? Our gods didn't give us any rest. And the nations around them are like, these guys are chilling one day a week. I want in on that. Their God's giving them rest. But it's also a sign to themselves. The stop once a week was a sign to the people of Israel because this physical rest that they were doing once a week was a sign of the spiritual rest that God promises them. A rest from striving, a rest from working, a rest from earning. So when they took the day off and stopped, they were looking back and remembering, we've been delivered from Egypt. We're no longer slaves. We've been redeemed, freed, ransomed by God. They looked back, but then they also were looking forward. The sign of this Sabbath was looking ahead to when they will be ultimately Saved spiritually by God, by a deliverer to come, a prophet greater than Moses who will usher in full rest, full salvation. So this sign pointed back and it pointed forward. You're supposed to do this, people of Israel, as you're in the desert moving toward the land, but the people rebel. You can read about it in Numbers 14. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. As I was reading, there's a bunch of quotes throughout it. 
Those were quotes from Psalm 95, a psalm that we used for our call to worship this morning. But it's, it's a psalm recounting the people of Israel's rebellion in the wilderness when they refused to rest. And so because of that, the first generation, they're told you can't enter the rest. Because of your unbelief, I, God, I'm going to wait till you all die off and then your children are going to get the land. And so they move through the wilderness, they come right to the edge of the promised land and a new leader is raised up in place of Moses to take in the people finally to their land, their rest. But because they failed to drive out the evil demonic gods of the land, rest still evaded them. Does anybody remember the the name of the person who took over from Moses to lead them into the land? Joshua. That leads me to my third and final point for this morning. Rest through Jesus. Look at verses 8 through 10 with me again. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Right? What's implied there? Joshua didn't do it. They didn't get the rest that God promised. So then, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for you. It's not Moses. It's not the angels, it's not Joshua, it's not the old covenant, it's Jesus. Joshua, or Yeshua, we're being told, try to bring the people into the land and give them rest. Pass or fail? Fail. In one sense, they they finished the, the rest of creation, the rest that we read about in Genesis 2, but Yeshua, Joshua, failed to bring the people into the rest that God promised. So God spoke of a day, yet future to Joshua, where they would find rest. Jesus brings the rest that Joshua didn't. Do you know Jesus' name in Hebrew? Yeshua. It's the new Joshua, the greater Joshua, Jesus, who does bring in the rest that Joshua, Moses, failed to bring. When did he do it? On a mountain called Golgotha, when Jesus hung on a criminal's cross, he cried out his last words, it is finished. Jesus brought the rest that Joshua and Moses failed to do, not creation rest, but new creation rest. This is what the Sabbath was always pointing toward. The Sabbath, which was a shadow pointing ahead to something greater, the rest of new creation, the rest of redemption. And so, brothers and sisters, we who are in Christ can rest. Because Jesus has done all the work on our behalf for redemption, for salvation. He has accomplished our forgiveness in living in our place, dying as our substitute, and triumphantly rising again. We do not need to do but receive. Moses couldn't do it. Joshua couldn't do it. The rest that they were seeking, the land that they were trying to get were just shadows of something spiritual and eternal in Jesus. Jesus did what Moses and Joshua couldn't. He brings about what we looked at two weeks ago, rest for our souls. What we do, why am I talking about all this, is we rest physically one day in seven 
to both look backwards, from your point of view, look backwards and look forward, just like the Sabbath to the nation of Israel did. We have rest for our souls because of what Jesus has done in the gospel for us. And so when we see this creation mandate, this wise way of living, taking 24 hours once a week to rest, we do the same thing. We look back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it accomplished for us, and we look forward to when we will finally, ultimately rest as we see Jesus face to face. We look back and we look forward, or in the words of of verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has rested from the works God did from his. And so I wanted to, I put a quote in there from Tim Keller on on Sabbath. I put it in there two weeks ago and I didn't didn't get to it, but this this is insightful. God appointed the Sabbath to remind us that he is working and resting. To practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you are not the one who keeps the world running, who provides for your family, not even the one who keeps your work projects moving forward. That's good news. It means you're not God. It means you can rest, you can stop. And this rest is one that we experience now, but one that we will yet fully experience future in the new heavens, new earth. But until that day, until that ultimate rest when we are with God forever, we seek to practice physical rest here one day a week. A physical rest that points to a spiritual salvation that looks back on Jesus' finished work in our place and looks forward to glory. And until we're there, let us seek to rest from our work and rest in God once a week. And so, inside your insert, there's a practicing Sabbath insert. We put that in there the last two weeks. There's really just like three big points there. Establish a 24-hour period a, a week and rest. Whether that's like a traditional Sabbath, which for the people of Israel was Saturday, Friday night sundown, to Saturday night sundown. That's what I do. That's best for my family because Sundays is often a marathon work day. The second one there, though, is the Lord's Day Sabbath. That's what the Christian church has largely done throughout the ages because the first century believers moved the stop. They didn't get rid of it, the Sabbath, to the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection. So resting on Sunday is easiest for most people because it's already the most calm day and it begins with worship. What a great way to to have your Sabbath, to prepare your heart to meet with the Lord and then rest on Sunday. But a third little recommendation there is a midweek Sabbath. For those who have odd or sporadic work schedules, that could be an option for you. But establishing 24-hour period once a week to rest and worship. That second part there just tells you to, to maybe pick a ritual that clearly starts and stops the Sabbath. There's all kinds of recommendations there. Again, these are not... This isn't a to-do list, this isn't law, just some good ideas to think about. And the third point of application is to spend that entire day in rest and worship. Brothers and sisters, if you leave here and start asking the question, what am I not allowed to do today? You're missing the point. The Sabbath stop is a day that is supposed to be soul, life-giving to the soul. 
not a law of like, oh no, have I taken too many steps today and have therefore broken the Sabbath? You're missing the point. Receive this as a gift. Receive this as worship to rest and worship. There's a list of about 12 activities there that have traditionally marked Sabbath practice. Napping and walking are some of my favorites. Reading and spending time with God. But I'll conclude with this, that rest takes effort. If you know in your week you're coming up on your day of stop, there might be some preparation for you to do the day before so that you can rest on the day of. Be diligent to do that. Receive this rest as a gift. A gift in Jesus that points to something else. Salvation for our souls in him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this truth. Jesus, thank you for the salvation that you offer in the gospel. I pray that we would be a people who know the value of good work and good rest. That you would help us rest physically and as we do, remember the gospel and what it means for our souls. Jesus, thank you. In your name, amen. Okay, thank you, Taylor. We're made in the image of a God who...